John chapter 19. We're going to dive right in. And kids, you do extra good tonight as well. I'll double reward you tomorrow. So, and adults, just, just show them a good example on how to be tonight. So, like, where's my reward? That's, I should do a, a Starbucks gift card for the adults. That would get everyone. I'll put 50 cents on there, and no one will know how much I put on there. For seniors, I won't make any comment. We'll leave that one alone. It is some of the seniors, though, that I worry the most about, Russell, and things like that. So, the greatest thing Jesus ever said. Some people have a way with words, don't they? In good ways and bad ways. There's some, like, well, just think in the Bible. Peter, he would have been one of those that was not the greatest with his words at times. But then Peter, Peter might have been bipolar for all we know. Because one minute Peter could make the greatest statement in the world, and then the next minute the Lord's saying, get thee behind me, Satan, because he's making a dumb comment. There are some people in this world that just are very eloquent in the way they can speak. That's not me. Ryan's more eloquent than I am when it comes to words. Caroline is. They both, uh, English and language is their thing. Language is not my thing. But I still preach often, and if you were to go through and grammatically correct my sermon, you see there would be a lot of problems. But I know who I'm preaching to, so it's okay. We work well together. And, um, and they're just t- Sunday morning. Sunday morning, there were a couple of teens that were not paying attention in the second service. And I, you know, and we had a, it was a special moment. First service, we were here, second service, we were doing the Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then the other group was doing it. But, man, this, this one teenager just wasn't paying attention very well. And I said, if you want to be dumb and look dumb back there, keep doing what you're doing. Totally ruined the whole moment of what was going on there. And you think back, man, wish I wouldn't have said that. But I did. And when you say it, you can't take it back at that point. And when you say a lot of things in front of people, you're going to say some things at times where you look back and you're like, why in the world did I say that? But it was never that way with Jesus. We could look through the Gospels and we see beyond doubt that over and over again, Jesus said the right things. I mean, the people were astonished. The scripture tells us that they were astonished at his doctrine because he taught with power and authority. They would question him and he would just throw a statement back and it was like, wow, this guy's good. I think it's several statements that Jesus made throughout his life before Abraham was, I am. There were a lot of people that didn't like that statement, but what a statement. In John chapter number 10, he said, I and my father are one. That's quite a statement. Think about John chapter 14 and verse number 9. He that has seen me has seen the father also. That's quite a statement right there. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse number 20, Surely I come quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. What a statement. I'm glad that he's coming quickly. God's quickly and my quickly are two totally different things, though. And I think John was thinking, maybe in my lifetime. And now we're 2,000 years later. And we're thinking, maybe in our lifetime. Surely I come quickly. John chapter number 6 is another phrase, and Jesus made so many, we go on all night about all the different statements that he made. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That's quite a statement right there. We go with the one that a lot of people know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's not on the screen back there. I was just throwing you a curveball. That happens, Manny. I just sometimes bust out in Scripture, and it's not going to be on the screen because I don't even know what it says back there that it's supposed to be. I'm just going along with what I've got here. Every single statement that I've made tonight about Jesus is a goldmine of truth. And it's necessary. They're necessary for us to understand who Jesus was and who Jesus is. But tonight, as we read these verses here in John chapter number 19, I would say that this has to be the greatest phrase that Jesus ever said, and I'm going to explain to you why tonight. We look at John chapter 19, look down at verse number 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it with hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should now remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. If they would break the legs of those hanging on the cross, they could no longer push up and get air in their lungs, and they would die rather quickly. So with the Passover coming, they did not want them hanging on the cross still. So this was the way to make things move even quicker. The Bible says in verse 32, Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken." And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. We could go through so much tonight, and I encourage you on Sunday, if, I, if you get one of those books, he, the, a doctor goes into great detail of several things about how Jesus died here. And one of the things is, when the heart would have been pierced, water would have came before blood, not blood before water. And that's a controversy that people say. They say the Bible says blood and water when it should be water and blood. The doctor said, I don't have to be a Greek scholar to let you know that in Greek, they don't put it in order of when it happens. They put it in order of what's significant. That's why the blood is mentioned before the water. And so you'll want to read it. And, just, and you don't need a little book to, to understand what you believe, but it's just kind of neat to see several things. As we looked here at this passage tonight, we see verse number 30. Jesus said these words, it is finished. For years, liberals and unbelievers have declared this cry of Jesus as a cry of defeat. 
They say it's the words of a man who has lost everything. But I want you to understand something. That's not what Jesus said here. He didn't say, I am finished. No, he says, it is finished. What did Jesus accomplish that day? What did he finish? That's what I want to talk about tonight. You see, this phrase in English is from a word that is very expressive, very filled with meaning. In fact, it's a word that's used in many areas of society. And some of them, for this word, this word finish, is a servant's word. Used when a task has been completed. It's a servant's word. Used when a task has been completed. I finished the job that my master gave me to do. It's one way that this word finished is used. It was also used as, number two, a priestly word. It was a priest's word. It was used when a sacrificial animal was found to be worthy. So when a sacrifice in the Bible days was made, you had to have a lamb without spot. When that lamb was sacrificed, the sacrifice was finished. It was passed on, but it was finished. It was a farmer's word. Number three, a farmer's word. Used when a perfect specimen had born into the flock. This is quite a word right here. To telestize, if you're going to say it the way that it should be said. It is finished. It's an artist's word, number four. Use, think about this, a beautiful masterpiece, a painting is made. And when the final touches have been applied, the last little bit of shine, the last brush of a stroke. That's what that word it finished means. It's an artist's word. It's a merchant's word. Used when a deal's been struck. When all the haggling has ended and you weasel the price down as far as you can. It's meant that both parties were satisfied. The deal is finished. That's the word tonight. You see, I understand tonight that it's plain to see that this word, he didn't say, I'm finished. No, it was a cry. It was of a victor. I finished what God had for me to do. It's the cry of one who had just won the Super Bowl. The one who had just won the big game. The one who had accomplished what he came to accomplish. you got to understand, in those three little words, Jesus is letting the entire world know that he finished what God had for him to do. He paid the price for our sin. Three points tonight will be done. Number one, we see the pain of redemption was finished. The pain of redemption. The pain of redemption. The death that Jesus died on the cross was pure torture for us. The death that he suffered, it was torture. When we stop to think tonight... And let me just refresh your mind for a couple of minutes. I know there are many Christians like, I don't like to think about what he went through. Maybe you might be more dedicated to him if you took time to think what he did for you. If you focused on, why do you think, the, what's the point of the Lord's Supper? This do in remembrance of me. Take, eat, this is my body, my body, which was broken for you. 
my blood that was shed so that you could have eternal life. Let me just refresh your mind a little bit tonight. The Bible tells us that he was scourged. Now we look at that word and we don't think too much of it today. Oh, he was scourged. That means he was beaten to the point of death. A, those Roman guards were awful. We're still on letter A, or number one. We're, on, we're getting there. Manny, you're doing a great job back there. And so just don't listen to Joe. If you listen to Joe, that's how you're going to mess yourself up back there. So just tune Joe up. No, I'm just kidding. In the scourging, they would take this thing, a cat of nine tails, they called it. These long whips that had metal hooks at the end. There would be glass, other things in it. When it would go, and the, what would happen is the person would be tied to this post. And the Roman guard would take this whip and whip it around the prisoner. And it would hook into the flesh. And it would rip out. And they were nice. They only did 39 lashes. Because 40 was a death sentence. So they beat a man till almost death. He was unrecognizable, the scripture tells us. What he went through. Don't want to be graphic with you, but think of hamburger. What his back looked like. He was scourged. That was just the beginning. He was beaten. Just hit in the face. He was beaten for our sin. He was spit upon. There's almost nothing worse than someone spitting on you. It's happened to me twice in my lifetime. I'm not going to tell you why or how it happened, but it happened twice. I wanted to kill that person. I'm glad I didn't. I'd probably be in a jail cell today instead of preaching the word of God. But they spit on him. They mocked him. Put a bag over, put a bag over his head and said, Hey, who hit you? If you're the king of the Jews, if you're God, who just smacked you? They put a crown of thorns on his head because they were mocking him being the king of the Jews. They put a robe, a purple robe, representing royalty around him. They mocked him. They nailed him to a cross. Think about that one for a minute. And I know we see, you watch movies and you see different things, and it looks like they put the nails right there in the middle of the hand. Let me just give you some help tonight. There is no way it went through the middle of the hand because the hand would have fallen right out of it. Right around the wrist. If you read that little book that I'm going to be giving out on Sunday, the doctor talks about the pain. That would be like having a nail go through your wrist. How many of you have ever, ever hit your funny bone before? Okay, it doesn't feel great, right? So that nerve is not much different than the nerve that's right there in the middle of your wrist. So take that nerve, take what you do to your funny bone, grab a pair of needle-nose pliers, and 
twist it all the way around backwards like that, and that's the pain that's going to shoot through. In his hands and in his feet. He was nailed to the cross. He was stripped naked. He was naked on the cross. Imagine the humiliation. Think about a 33-year-old man and his mom staring at him naked on the cross. He's completely humiliated. His beard was plucked from his face. Now, when I think of Jesus having a beard, I think of Ryan's beard. Because if you're going to have a beard, you've got to go all out with the beard. But it was plucked out. And my description tonight doesn't even begin to describe what he went through on the cross. And your best Hollywood movie doesn't even compare to what he went through on the cross for us. You see, and the Bible tells us this was his bitter cup. He had to do it, but he was willing to do it so that you and I could be saved. And not only was there pain... But there was shame, the Bible tells us. I think, is there another point there about that? No? Not only was there pain which the Savior endured for us, but there was shame. He endured the shame, the Scripture tells us. He was crucified. Died a death of a wicked person. Being a godly person, not only was there that pain and shame, but you know what the greatest agony in all the world on the cross had to be? He that knew no sin became my sin so that I could have his righteousness. He became our sin on the cross. He bore our sin. Jesus suffered on the cross. The worst suffering I think he suffered on the cross was the judgment that came from God the Father himself. The Bible tells us it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Say, so how could a father be pleased to bruise his own son? Jesus literally took the wickedness of this world, every sin that you and I have ever committed, or that any person that's ever committed, he put it on himself. He had to suffer because of that. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The father couldn't even look at his own son. God judged Jesus for our sins that day on the cross. Jesus literally experienced every man's death and every man's hell while he was on the cross. Hey church, why did he suffer those things? Why did the Lamb of God willingly offer up his life as an atonement for our sins. The first reason is this. Because he loves us. That's why he did it. Jeremiah 33.3 tells us, and that's not the verse that I wanted. That's probably my fault. I probably gave the wrong reference. The verse I wanted is, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. 
God told that to Jeremiah. And if God felt that way about Jeremiah, he feels that way about all of us tonight. Because he loves us. That's why he did what he did. 1 John 4, 19. We have that one. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He loved us. What's the second reason? He wanted to prove his love for us. He wanted to prove it. You know, there are a lot of people that say they love somebody, right? If a husband says to his wife, I love you, and never does anything or proves that love, it's just talk. The Bible makes it clear, and we know the fact that greater love hath no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. Romans 5.8 tells us the fact that God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet, while we were yet sinners, while we are his enemy, we're his enemy, Christ died for us. When he cried out, it is finished on the cross, we see the pain of redemption was finished. Number two, we see the plan of redemption was finished. The plan of redemption was finished. Did you know that before God ever breathed life into mankind, he knew what we were going to do. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. He knew every sin that would ever take place. There was a plan in place in heaven before it ever began. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 8, then it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. Look at this. Slain from the foundation of the world. This goes back before man was ever created. Jesus would be the Lamb slain for all of us. God had a plan. There was a promise made to, to Adam, remember in the garden, and actually to the serpent it was, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Third chapter of the Bible, 15th verse of that third chapter. The seed of a woman. Show me anywhere else in the Bible where it talks about the seed of a woman. It's always the seed of a man. This is talking about Jesus. Because there was no man, the Holy Spirit and the Virgin. And it says that I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. That seed, her seed, is going to bruise the serpent's head, going to offer a death blow. But when that happens, the serpent's also going to bruise the heel of the one who's offering the death blow. And that's what happened. This was put in place from the beginning. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. The plan for all eternity was being completed. You see, since the dawn of time, when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, 
What did, what did man do? What did Adam and Eve do? We're going to sew fig leaves together. We're going to make a little apron for ourselves because we're naked. And we're going to hide from God. Sin makes you stupid. Don't forget that. Sin makes you very stupid. You cannot hide from God. And you also can't cover your own sin. But do you know from the very beginning, man has tried to cover their own sin and to work their own way to heaven? It doesn't work. From the Garden of Eden, when God came, and think about this, God could have said, you know what? They didn't even, they didn't even, when they needed help, they didn't even call out to me. You know, they ate the fruit. They didn't, oh God, we messed up, help us. No, we got it figured out. We'll take care of ourselves. They didn't call him. In fact, they're hiding from him. Aren't you glad he came? I'm glad he still came in the cool of the day like he always did with Adam, even after Adam messed things up. I'm glad that Jesus came when nobody really even wanted him to come. His own didn't even receive him. But in the Garden of Eden, as they sowed those fig leaves, God later on said, hey, no, that's not how it works. The shedding of blood must take place for sin. And he gave them coats of skins to wear, which meant that animals' bloods were shed. And that blood shed was how it was going to work for man to be able to come to God. You can look at the very next chapter there in Genesis, in chapter 4, and Abel brought an offering of an animal where Cain brought uh, of the fruit of the ground. God didn't want a sacrifice of the fruit of the ground. He wanted a blood sacrifice. Abel brought the right sacrifice. When Noah, after the flood, takes place, what does he do? He offers a sacrifice to God. We see in Exodus chapter number 12, when the Passover took place, what did the children of Israel do? They shed the blood of an animal, put it over the doorpost and the sidepost of their house, and it was just passing it on. The high priest on the Day of Atonement would take the sacrifice and shed the blood of that sacrifice, and it would pass on the sin for another year. But you see, something changed that day at Calvary. Something that had never taken place till this time. When Jesus died on the cross, when he offered himself, his blood was the payment once for all, and no animal sacrifice is ever needed again. And someday the Jews are going to start sacrificing again. They totally missed it. They totally don't know what's going on. And they'll offer sacrifices, but there's no need to make a sacrifice because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. And when he cried out, it is finished, he took care of it. The Old Testament sacrifices did nothing to remove the sins of the people. The death of Jesus on the cross, though, did everything to deal with the sin issue forever. He took care of it all. Hey, do you have Hebrews chapter 10 back there on the screen? Hebrews 10? Look at these verses. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, this man Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sin forever, 
sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Those out there that doubt their salvation or say you can lose your salvation. I think that verse we just read a minute ago kind of cast some doubt on there. Because he perfected it forever. Hebrews 9, verse 12 through 14. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkled, the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This great plan was put together in heaven before Adam and Eve were ever made. When the earth was still without form and void, God knew that man would sin and there would need to be a sacrifice. And Jesus said, hey, I'll be the sacrifice. I'll be the lamb that is slain. Now, everything God requires to make man righteous and to take away their sins is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we can sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's only one means for salvation. There's nothing you and I can do. His blood was shed so that we could have a home in heaven. It was planned that way before the world ever came to be. And when he cried out on the cross that day that it is finished, the plan of redemption was finished. Number three, and lastly, the payment of redemption was finished. The payment. As I mentioned earlier in the introduction tonight, say, Pastor, you've yelled more tonight than you've yelled in the whole year. The things of God don't get you a little bit excited. I don't know what will. And uh, those, Bible, those Bible programs, they just start reading sometimes out loud. But that's good. If it, if it started playing a video game and like, there's a video game going off, I love because art will sometimes, art if you're watching online, I'm, I'm, I'm being nice here. His will go off because he's reading the Bible and it, somehow he hits that play button. But if someone's Bible starts reading out loud during the service, I love that. Because that means they're actually using their phone to be on the Bible. So good job. And good job, Victoria. That was a test right there. Good job. But as we look at this tonight, this phrase, as I mentioned earlier, that Jesus uttered was a business term. It was used when two parties had reached an agreement and both were satisfied. Do you know what it meant? It meant that when Jesus said it is finished, it meant that God the Father in heaven was satisfied with what Jesus did on the cross for us. God accepted the Son's death and shed blood as the perfect payment for sin. That's why the Bible tells us, the Bible uses a big word, that He is the propitiation. That's a big word. When we think about that word, it has the idea of appeasing. It literally refers to the Ark of the Covenant 
or the place where the blood had been applied on the Day of Atonement, Jesus appeased God. That's why, church, you've got to remember some things tonight. That's good news for us. Because we could never do it on our own. My blood could be spread all over the mercy seat. And it would mean nothing. It would mean absolutely nothing. My good works tonight to God mean absolutely nothing. They get me nowhere. They get me no closer to God. My righteousness is as filthy rags. But when Jesus cried out, it is finished, he was what was needed so that the payment was paid in full. When God looks at my account tonight, Jesus paid it for me. I don't understand how people in this world can't get that one figured out. Jesus did all the suffering. He paid the price completely. Why are you trying to do it on your own? You can't. That's one of the problems that we're running into in our world today. Everything is all about me being better, me being better, me being better. I went through two days of training uh, for the police. The, the thing that the chaplaincy that I do is a peer support thing. They did this counseling class that I went to. And there was a lot of good things that I picked up in it. But there's a big problem in a lot of counseling and things today. Now that was a football sign right there. Dun, dun, dun. You know, that was not the Bible being read. And so, see? Be sure your sin will find you out. I'm not, I don't even want to know who. I can just look around and see whose face is the most red in the back corner. And I think I know who it is. But anyways. I totally lost my train of thought. That's what happens when things like that happen. The counseling. Thank you. That was just to see if any of you were actually paying attention tonight. There were a lot of great points to it. But the thing that was stated over and over again is you have to self-help yourself. You have to be better. You do. And I agree to a point we got to be better, but you're never going to be good on your own. You cannot. We are not perfect. So even my best is still going to be all screwed up. You need him. He paid the price. We need everything he has. The payment of redemption was paid, and I'm so thankful for that. You realize tonight there is no good that dwelleth in you and I. At our very best, we're still sinners. But since Jesus satisfied the payment that was needed, God doesn't look at me and my good deeds. He sees what Jesus did for me. That's what he sees. What it means tonight, the payment of redemption is finished. It means that we don't have to work for our salvation. Because if you try to work, you will never please him. We could never please him on our own. Guess who pleased him? Jesus did. That's why you need him. That's why we need him tonight. You can never be good enough. I can never be good enough. Salvation doesn't come because of our goodness. It comes by faith. Believing in Jesus and what he said. Man, that day on the cross, 
believe the greatest words Jesus ever said was, it is finished. Because sin had been paid for. My way to heaven had been paid. He did it for us. That's why Peter could be crucified upside down on a cross. Or how Paul could be beheaded. Or James could be cast down out of the temple. Because if Christ could do what he did and love us the way he did, we ought to love him. Love should be the driving point behind everything that we do. Why do you come to church? Because I have to. Pastor says I have to. That's a sorry reason to go to church. I go to church because I love him and want to show him my love. Why did I read my Bible today? Oh, because I want God to bless me. That's why I read it. No, I love him. After all he's done. Why do I serve him? None of us are worthy to. But we love him. What he did was the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have life. That's why as we close out the service this evening, I don't think there's a better thing that we could do as we get ready to approach Resurrection Sunday than to just take a few minutes to focus on him a little bit more. Ask Caroline to go to the piano. We're going to sing, thank you for the cross, Lord, and thank you for the price you paid. I want you to think about those words tonight. And maybe they're at your seat this evening. You need to take a minute.